0: Good morning, everyone. It is Father's Day, and I would like to uh, pray over all the men in the church at the end. After I'm done taking advantage of a captive audience uh, this morning, not that you're captive—you can walk any time—but I will be deeply hurt uh, if you do. If you're a note taker, uh, you have a bulletin with uh, three points. Name of the sermon today is Pater Noster, and um, for those of you who've got some kind of a high church background, that might ring a bell to you. In fact, let me just show you how it's often presented in, uh, yeah, uh, that was easy for me to say, illuminated manuscript form, right? It's Latin on the left, uh, English on the right, and Pater Noster is our father, right? And anything that you put in Latin or Greek or Hebrew is always more spiritual, and so I thought I would try it, see if it works, all right? So I used three uh, Latin terms, but they're pretty obvious what they are, I think, aren't they, as we work our way through this. I am approaching, uh, for those of you who are visiting maybe for the first time, we have been in a series in the book of Philippians, and so that's actually my text today, and guess what? I'm not going to preach through Philippians for four years. In fact, I'm ending that series today. This is the... uh, We're at the end. That's why. And uh, the verse that we are choosing particularly is verse 20 of the fourth chapter uh, to close our time out. And it is appropriate that it landed on Father's Day because the reference, and we're going to see it in just a minute, I'll uh, play it through... Now to our God and Father, be the glory forever and ever. Amen. The Father, his glory, his honor, who he actually is, appropriate to discuss it. So let me just quickly close out. Uh, Often on Father's Day, it is a great uh, hallmark celebration, as you know, and uh, we often neglect and don't say much to God, uh, wishing him maybe a happy Father's Day since he is the creator of all that is, and our Father in heaven. So let me just show you these texts, if I could, just to close out our section. After we have seen Paul's rejoicing in the giving of the Philippians, he responds with this great promise to saints who are disciples, who are engaged in participation. We heard our brother Ron encouraging us about years of participation in gospel partnership. He says, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Then he exclaims, just thinking about God's faithfulness, ministering through the saints to him, through him to the saints, oh, now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. How can you not respond like that? And that's exactly how he responds. And now let's just finish out the book. The last two verses go like this. I went the wrong way. I've got to press the right buttons. I'm technologically challenged, as if you didn't already know that. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Wonderful little comment here. We're all called saints. God is in the business through his grace of making saints out of? Duh. Very good. You all passed, right? We're sinners, right? Making uh, saints out of sinners. It's amazing. That's a glorious gift from a good father, wouldn't you agree? And uh, especially those even of Caesar's household. You know why that's so fun? And it relates to the culture we're living in today, and I'm going to dabble in that because if there's ever a morning that lends itself to political incorrectness, it's going to be today. So if I'm in jail in the next few weeks, please come visit me. Caesar's household, Caesar and the... Existing authorities were at, not at this time favorable toward the advance of Christianity. Remember, the Philippians and other churches at that time had experienced some opposition. So it's extremely significant, is it not, that the gospel, the good news of transformation in Christ, now I'm going to meddle, not the false gospel of praying a prayer and magically having a ticket to heaven, The gospel of transformational Christianity was impacting even Caesar's household. How cool is that? Yes, Pastor, John's very exciting. Okay, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. The last words of the book, another gift that comes. Why? Why do we have the availability of the grace of the Lord Jesus? Because of a good father who commissioned his son, gave his only son, gave up his life to rescue us. That's a great passage, isn't it? But let's talk about our Father. First of all, starting with glory, the glory that is due him. Old Testament as well as New Testament both teach us about the glory of our Father. And uh, we read this morning together, I hope we prayed it, the Our Father. That's what this title is based on, right? We call it the Our Father, right? Everybody with me? Okay. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Glory to God. Your name is holy. It should be sanctified. You deserve the glory. It's a reference to the Lord's Prayer. Hallowed be your name. Old and New Testament alike. Jesus did not make this up. When he comes to his disciples and he's trying to teach his disciples, do you understand that God who made everything, God who is holy, God who parted the Red Sea, God who dealt with the Egyptians with a heavy hand, God who judged sin, God who rescued his people out of slavery, that terrifying God, if you will, is your heavenly Father and he loves you? I had such a hard time with that. By the way, why do we do pendulumitis? That's a terrible disease. So many of us have it. You know what I mean by pendulumitis, right? If you don't know by now, you haven't been listening to me, which never mind. Anyway, we go from over here. Oh, he's judging me for everything I do to, oh, he doesn't deal with anything. He doesn't care anymore. No, they're both true. That holy God is the God who loves us. So hard, really, when you think about it, to wish God a happy Father's Day when there's so much grief being dealt to him by his offspring. But listen to the language of the Old Testament. The book of Malachi, for example, says this. Do we not all have one father? In fact, in Malachi, this is at the end of the Old Testament season, just before the 400 years of silence until John the Baptist comes on the scene. And some of the Hebrew people were cheating each other. Can't imagine God's people ever doing anything naughty like that. But it was happening. And so Malachi is rebuking the people. He says, stop doing that. Don't you understand that we all have one father? This is an Old Testament prophet. Has not one God created us? We are under one father. I like the New Testament version of this, uh, referring to the Father Creator, if you would. I love this passage of Scripture out of the book of Revelation. Heavenly elders are worshiping God. Anybody recognize it? Worthy art thou, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things. And because of your will, your choice to create, they exist, they existed, they were created, they continue to exist. They continue to be sustained by his providence, holds it all together. He's a good father. Worthy art thou. Glory to God. Listen, the Father in heaven is glorified whether we give it to him or not, whether we speak it or not. Now, of all people, um, the saints have reason to give glory to God. Wow, you guys, I don't know. (laughs) Rough day. Big plans? Father's Day plans? Okay. Of all people, the saints ought to be giving glory to God. Okay, we are on the same page. This is my father's will. We didn't sing that. There are so many songs about fathers. By the way, Mike, I'm glad you introduced that song. That was a good song. I'm going to increase your salary just for that which is zero, so he just got double. But thank you. Anybody remember that song, This Is My Father's World? To my listening ears, all nature sings and round me rings the music of the spheres. If I really know him, and the problem is we don't press on to know him well enough, the language of this song says, This Is My Father's World. I rest me in the thought of rocks and trees, of skies and seas, his hands the wonders wrought. This is my Father's world, the birds their carols raise, the morning light, the lily white, declare their maker's praise. God is glorified whether we say it or not. When the creation does what it was made to do, he's glorified. This is my Father's world. He shines in all that's fair. He speaks to me everywhere. I don't know if I ever told you this story, but I I, I was in Arizona. You're you're out in uh, my neck of the woods there, running around in those desert lands, brother. And uh, looking forward to catching up with you later and see who we know. But um, the Grand Canyon is in the northern part of Arizona, and Utah butts up against it and all of that. But um, I had hiked down in the canyon and had a good time with a fellow pastor, camped down there and all of that. But I had left for years and one opportunity I had to do a wedding back there. We were flown back and we had a chance to run up to the Grand Canyon. And I remember coming up to the edge of the Grand Canyon I'd never had an experience like this. I walked up to the edge of the canyon and literally it like bashed my chest in my breath just escaped. I was like (gasps) the vastness. It was like I could see the finger of God just just blew my mind instantly. It was a moment of worship. Took my breath away. He shines in all that's fair. He will be glorified whether we want to speak it or not by his creation. But brothers and sisters, we have the opportunity to glorify him even more because as you'll see at the bottom of our little list there, imago, Human beings are unique in what? We are made in the, yes, which is imago dei. That's where we're going. Let me just stop, though, and park on the next one. Who do we, in fact, reflect? Um, I was thinking about this. I I was told by the MLT when they hired me, they said, "Uh, we like a lot of what you're doing, but you do have to do one thing uh, better. You have to improve something. I said, I'm all ears. I didn't really, but I did. And they said, you need to get new movie quotes. So I've been working on that. For those of you who are visiting, I use movie quotes, and I will use clips. And if that's sacrilegious, I will pray for you, uh, if you think that. I went to see this film called The Intern with Robert De Niro. Anybody see it? Okay. Only two people are willing to admit it in church. Okay, I get it. I'm not saying it's a Christian film, but why I was captivated by it and why I will probably get it and use it, maybe next Father's Day. There was a great commentary at one point. Anne Hathaway's character is a big-shot CEO of a new Google-type business, and uh, she's really impossible to live with in some ways. But they, they celebrate some business success one night. They all go out and have a drink. I'm not recommending this. I'm just saying They went out and had a drink, and because she had one or two, her loose lips start to flap, and she goes off on a commentary about how men have been devalued in our culture. I thought, isn't that fascinating in 2016, hearing a comment like that? And I think a lot of what she had to say was true. But I don't have the video clip. So you just have to wait with bated breath till next Father's Day. So come back if you're visiting next Father's Day. But I'm going to unpack some of that thinking in the next two points. First one, provisio, provision. Our Father goes on with, give us this day our daily bread. And our daily bread is more than just food on the table. Our needs are broader than that. There's numbers of needs that we have that moms and dads and fathers in particular bring to the table. Remember the verse in the closing of our, of our book of Philippians was, um, My God shall supply all your needs. Isn't that a great line? All your needs. The scripture tells us he's given us everything we need for life and godliness okay, what is it that we need? It's not always just money. In fact, what dads have been called to do, do you do realize, and this is why I want to park on this, that our vision of our heavenly father is impacted by our earthly fathers? I know some people think, oh, that's, you know, pop psych and whatever. You should have walked through the hundreds of people I have counseled through, father and, by the way, mother wounds that have impacted or crippled their emotional lives. So what I have as a goal is, God, I really do want to become more like you. A good father is the song we sang. He's a good father. He's the one who provides what we actually need. Here's one of my very favorite verses about the Father in heaven. It's in the book of James. You'll recognize it. Every time I go to a wedding and they ask me to pray for the meal, which always seems kind of, you know, maybe sometimes trite, I park on this verse. Every good thing bestowed and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. The Father of lights, glory. There's no darkness in him at all, with whom there is no variation. He doesn't shift. He doesn't make up his mind that tomorrow I'm leaving, I'm done, or shifting shadow. In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. He's the one that gave us birth both physically and spiritually if you're a brother or sister in Christ that we might be as it were the first fruits among his creatures. By the way, you know what the first fruits were in the Old Testament? The offerings. They were the part that comes up out of the ground first, you give them straight away to God. Off the top. Get that? I'm not preaching on giving again, but off the top just goes, just like you owe, you know, your cable bill or whatever, it's gone. It goes, right? The first fruits. We. Whoops! Sorry. I'm not used to this big thing. Look at that. Looks like a lollipop. I'll behave. Sorry. My ADD just kicked in. Let me pull it back. Okay, we're back on task. Where were we? What? First fruits. We're the. We're the. Get the picture. Get the picture. God creates the human race. He gathers back his tithe, his first fruits. You get it? We're it. That's why we can't say it's true that he delights in us and he loves us and he values us because we're his precious children. Sometimes we're naughty children, but we're his precious children. Everybody said amen. See, he's getting, he's getting personal again. I want to read a couple of things to you if I might provisio, his provision, his provision. Let me get more organized so I don't make a mess here. Too many papers. Provision does relate to physical things. I have uh, grown to appreciate a number of excellent writers on the subject, probably because I come from a fatherless home, I have great passion, as well as experience in terms of my own personal journey in healing uh, about the subject of how critical it is for moms and dads to model godliness with their children and the impact that that can have. And godliness doesn't always have to be like super spiritual little halos running It's reflective of justice and provision and consistency, love as well as discipline, love as well as law, law and mercy. They go together. That's who our father is. He's both. Anybody say amen to that? And I need to get that into my DNA. Okay. So over the years, I've looked at a number of books that I want to uh, quote from today um, about some of those realities. One is uh, a lady named um, Maggie Gallagher, who uh, became a single mom because she fell for the lies of the sexual revolution, which we're all reaping the harvest of now, 40 years later. Brother, you've been in ministry 40 two years, five years, I've been in 40 years, we've watched the landscape transform over the years, and it hasn't gotten prettier when when we talk about our our family life and and, uh, values and morals, we're kind of uh, imploding. Talking about what came out of that, let me read from a chapter called The New Man's Shortage in her book called Enemies of Eros. Isn't that an interesting title, Enemies of Eros? Eros is erotic love. She's saying that all of that libertinism has actually destroyed the fun of real romance the way God had intended it, right? She's not particularly writing from a Christian perspective either. The mass exodus of men from the family comes just at the time, stimulated in part by certain concerns that a wealth of research has confirmed father's emotional and psychological importance to children. Father's traditional role is by no means obsolete. Two statistics capture in broad strokes the importance of male breadwinners, for example. This has nothing to do with whether women should be working. That's not the point. Get get it. Married women overall provide only 18% of family income, and 54% of all single moms fall below the poverty line, so there is a physical impact. That's just the data. But a father is more than a walking paycheck. Dr. George Rekers, professor of neuropsychiatry and behavioral science at the University of South Carolina School of Medicine, recently reviewed the literature on father absence and concluded both developmental and clinical studies have clearly established the general rule that the father's positive presence in the home is, in the vast majority of cases, normally essential for the existence of family strength and child adjustment. Research shows that children without fathers have lower academic performance, more cognitive and intellectual deficits, increased adjusted, adjustment problems, higher risk for psychosexual development problems, and children from homes in which both, one or both parents are missing are frequently absent, have higher rates of delinquent behavior, suicide, homicide, and, boy, isn't this depressing. Can I just say something? Because I've thought hard about this. Whenever you start teaching this kind of stuff, it's just the hard nuts and bolts of what's real. There is a good father who is able to meet our need, whatever our status. And I've seen him do it. So none of this is to encourage hopelessness. On the contrary, it's to encourage hope and steadfastness for those of you who are moving in the right direction. Please keep it up. Among boys, father absence has been linked to greater effeminacy. You couldn't say that today. And exaggerated aggressiveness. Girls, on the other hand, who lose their father to divorce tend to be overly responsive to men, become sexually active earlier. You get the results. Provisio. There's something that dad is bringing to the table whether he's conscious of it or not, whether anybody's conscious of it or not. A man uh, named David Blankenhorn wrote a book back in 1995 called Fatherless America, an intensive, heavily documented study. I just want to read a short blip on that. According to a study by the Progressive Policy Institute, he's quoting, there's a relationship between crime and one-parent families. And what he's trying to point out, it has more to do with that than it does race or poverty has more to do with that, the absence of a member of the of the parental team. Fatherlessness undermines more than the life prospects of individual fatherless children, he says, especially as it has become widespread, it also weakens the larger ethos of protection in a community. As James Q. Wilson reminds us, neighborhood standards may be set by mothers but they are enforced by fathers, or at least by adult males. Neighborhoods without fathers are neighborhoods without men, able and willing to confront errant youth, chase threatening gangs, reproach delinquent fathers. The absence of fathers deprives the community of little platoons that informally but often effectively control boys on the street. It's really quiet in here. You know, I actually decided as I grew up and found out who I was, which was like two weeks ago, that there were times I needed to stop my car, get out of the car, and speak to kids who were doing something wrong. When was the last time you saw that happen? Men have been so emasculated, we're afraid to to peep. But I've seen that being reality. And we wonder why our culture falling apart at the seams. We need to find out who we are, what we were called to do. And by the way, he goes on to say it also has an impact not only in terms of violence, violence against women, and sexual abuse. Go down the line. The problems multiply as we continue uh, to divide the home. So that's provisio. There's more to it than just physical cash coming into the home. There's a presence that is greatly needed. But let's go to the last point, and that is imago. We were made in the image of God. That's the good part. If he's a good father, then he can father us and help us on this phenomenal journey. I I am the result of a broken home. I think you already know that. Not only a broken home, but one that was damaged because I did carry father wounds. My father was a violent alcoholic, not to mention unfaithful, and go down the list, and we think, uh, well, you turned out pretty good. I'll tell you why that might have happened. Well, maybe not. But if it did, I can tell you it was primarily because of God, my father, and the spiritual fathers that God gave me and he's given some of you. I heard somebody praying during our prayer time this morning that there are, thanks be to God, spiritual fathers in churches who speak life into young men, speak life and vision and uh, value into others that are around them, and we're grateful to God that that happens. A man named Tim Keller, anybody ever heard of him? Let me just read something for you first. I have to find my note here. I left that verse up there a long time, didn't I? Let us move along. Here we go. The Father's Prayer continues. Not only give us this day our daily bread. What's next? Forgive us our sins. sins. And do not lead us into temptation, (laughs) but deliver us from evil. Jesus affirms, The fact that the scripture said back in Genesis that God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. In the image of God. Jesus repeats that. He affirms that as true. When he was dealing with um, some of the local religious leaders who were very casual about dismissing a spouse that they weren't happy with he pushed on them heavily and appealed to Genesis. And here's what he says. Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, for this cause, excuse me, a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And he goes on, a phrase after that that is often used at wedding ceremonies. Two become one. They're made in the image of God that somehow... This thing of maleness and femaleness is a glory to the Father in heaven. Well, the implications of that are kind of huge, aren't they today? They're huge. There is something that he's communicating to us about the importance of how he has made us. That there is a strength in this embracing of who we are as children of God and as created in his image. Let me read from Tim Keller in his book, uh, the, M- the Meaning of Marriage, which came out in the early 2000s, I think. God says, let us make man in our image. Readers instantly ask the question, who is us? <laughs> who is he talking to? One answer is God is talking to the angels around him, but there's no indication anywhere that the Bible, in the Bible that the angels participated with God in the creation of human beings. Christian theologians over the centuries have seen here an allusion to a truth only revealed after the coming of Jesus into the world. Namely, that God is profoundly triune and the one God existed from all eternity has three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, get this, who know and love one another. Who know and love one another. Father, Son, and Spirit. And therefore, among other things, being created in God's image means that we were designed for relationships. So here is Adam, created by God and put into the garden of paradise, and yet his aloneness is not good. The Genesis narrative is implying that our intense relational capacity, created and given to us by God, was not fulfilled completely by our vertical relationship with him. He says there needs to be a horizontal relationship with other human beings. And what is more profoundly illustrative of that is when God grants us the gift of marriage. It is a gift, by the way. It's not a right but it is a gift if he grants it to us. So speaking of that, there are a couple of things that I wanted to mention that are so relevant, I think, today. And that is, uh, some of you might remember when um, my friend Gary Ingram was here, and he spoke, and uh, it was a bit of a culture shock for us because we're kind of insulated as a church, and he was speaking about his, his escape from the trap of homosexuality and how now he's engaged in ministry to people who are struggling to get their gender identity corrected. Well, his ministry that he leads came out of the ministry of Andrew Comiskey, who uh, founded Living Waters. He wrote this book, Strength and Weakness. The subtitle is Healing Sexual and Relational Brokenness, because it's really bigger than just one issue. It's huge. has everything to do with who we are in our being, our sense of identity. And so there's a number of things that uh, Mr. Comiskey says that are in, of encouragement to us as believers, but also challenging. Listen to this. Which such trends? A, a psychologist supported the perception when he said about our gender com, uh, confusion that's coming on our culture. Listen to this. More teenagers and young adults are expend, experimenting with homosexuality and bisexuality. All of a sudden, it just became the topic. It was not just considered okay, it was endorsed, it was cool. This is already old news. I hope you understand that. With such trends underway, what will the new millennium hold, Andrew Comiskey asks. Perhaps a disregard for maleness or femaleness altogether. In his high view of God's image, particularly the relation of man to woman and woman to man, now my opinion's going to come out very clearly, and so if there's going to be tar and feathers, just give me a heads up, all right? Bart, theologian, asserted that rejection of one's gender is the starting point of flight from God. The rejection of one's gender is the starting point of flight from God. To reject one's gender is to defy the creator and his call for all people to act humanly toward the opposite gender. One of the things they walk people through when they are Seeking God in that whole process of healing is can I affirm the other as a good gift from God? Can I affirm the other? Whether I'm married or not, can I affirm the other as a good gift? There are reasons that sometimes we can't. Here's his complaint putting some of the weight on the church skyrocketing divorce rates, freedom from. Uh, to engage in multiple sexual partnerships, growing distrust between men and women with conditions like these, is it any wonder that the sexual revolution brought this question to become normative? Not at all. Makes perfect sense. He uh, restates some of the bad news that uh, Maggie Gallagher mentioned, but the whole point is, the way to healing is to be set free by the truth, not by accommodating to that which appeals and comforts my brokenness. If I hadn't seen it with my own eyes, if I haven't seen the work of the Spirit transform the inner man and woman of people who have wrestled, then I would say, well, maybe this is all mythology. But God's finger does still touch people's souls and transform them. And part of their healing is saying, I want to embrace the truth. I want to glorify the Father in the way he made us. Male and female, he created us. So rejoice in it. And you know what keeps us from doing it? Is woundings. You may have grown up in a, in a broken home like me. You may have been on the receiving end of a, a harsh, by the way, it's not limited to fathers. It can be mothers. Mother wounds, father wounds sink deep into the souls of people. Anybody remember the guy John Eldred? He was a big deal back 10 years ago. Born, uh, what, what was it, Wild? Wild at Heart and a whole series. and He mentions it. In spite of all the social engineering trying to tell us that children coming out of divorce homes are healthier and stronger, and are, it's not true. There's a wound. There's an absenteeism. There are, in fact, what, one of the things he, he referenced that got my attention, and I wanted to close with this idea, was the deep-seated fear of abandonment that resides in the hearts of many children that have been through that. That struck my button because... I totally relate to that. Even though I feel like I came out pretty good. No comments from the peanut gallery, but what do I mean by that? Perfect? No. What I'm saying is growing up as a kid, I didn't process it as though I was suffering in some way or missing anything. It wasn't until I needed to find out what my manhood really meant that I went, "Uh uh-oh, something is lacking here. Something's missing. And how grateful I am that God personally—I I mean this. This is not. This is the mercy of God. He's a good father. I be, I, I'm going I'm just going to put this challenge out. Any any man in the room struggling with fear of inadequacy, or there's there's something I'm not sure I'm doing right. Can I pass it on to my children? Can I aim them? How do I cope with where? If I've lost track of my child and they're farther away from me and God than they were before, how can I regroup that? Whatever the challenge is, there's a God. If I will draw near to him, he will draw near to me. And he can help me by fathering me to father my children. I'm telling you. I knew I had I was like lost at sea. And through God the Father and His Word, which is illuminating. And also some quality men who loved me and cared for me and gave me some modeling. He can do it again, amen? He can do it again. And he will if we'll seek him. There's one more dimension of this whole thing. Speaking of marriage, at the very end of the book of Ephesians, you might remember this verse. This mystery is great. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, submit to your husband. Oh, boy, we want to talk about that. But anyway... This mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Isn't that interesting? There's this wonderful gift God gave of relationship, friendship first. By the way, Andy Comiskey used to say, uh, we really need to know one another, male and female, if we're interested. We think we're falling in love. We need to know one another really well with our clothes on before we know one another with our clothes off. There's a biblical order to that. This is a good gift that he's given us. And Paul says, and the scripture reveals, somehow this makes reference to Christ and his church. It's a picture of the relational God, his image in us, manifested in that, a wonderful reality. Here's the way Tim Keller put it. Two of the most basic teachings by the Bible on marriage. It has been instituted by God. You have to make up your mind if what the word of God says happened really did. Is Genesis true or not? It is. And there is logic and science, brothers and sisters, I'm sorry, there is, to reinforce it that has been instituted by God, marriage was designed to be a reflection of the saving love of God for us in Jesus Christ. That is why, listen to this, that is why the gospel helps us understand marriage and marriage helps us understand the gospel. (laughs) That's like God has a sense of humor or something, you know? I got married, and then I found out what it was like to be more of a loving father that he had in mind because left to myself, I needed a lot of work. I married the right lady. You, thank you. I will say amen of that. So I don't know where you're at today. I don't know what the struggle might be. I know that some of the things that I've had to say have to be, well, let me illustrate it this way. I'm going to take a risk. Because I grew up in a broken home, obviously, my mom was divorced. Back in the, let's see, when did I get saved? 1971. So back in the 70s, often, and before that, in the 60s, preaching from the pulpit may be very condemnatory about having been through that. Anybody know what I mean? Now, I think we just had... You have to deal with what is. We're in a broken world. We have to take people where they are and bring them into healing. And there's healing no matter what the status is. Can anybody agree with that? No matter what the status is, he can bring us forward from that point. He can wash our past clean. He free our spirit, take away shame, help us move into the future. But every time the subject was brought up, how do you think my mother felt? Condemned. And we'd have Rose Preacher at lunch. Hope she doesn't listen to this podcast because my mom is at the church across the river. But anyway, she felt condemned. Do you know that's not the legacy for the child of God? If I can get my wound healed, I can embrace what that guy said. I agree with you, Pastor. I agree with what you're saying. Oh, that God would help all of us to do well. That's if I'm free. So I don't know what the blockage might be today. What perspective on the father has been skewed because of something that you've walked through, maybe in your childhood, maybe in adulthood, maybe in a broken marriage, wherever it might happen to be, whatever it is, I'm telling you, God is in the business of rescuing and healing and transforming. And I love watching it happen when people come and, They embrace the truth and recognize what happened to me here was not what God had in mind. It wasn't to his glory, but he wants me to enjoy his fatherhood freely. So that's what he has in mind for us. I hope we embrace it. I'm going to ask you to stand. I want, well, actually, don't all stand. I want all the men in the room or boys to stand. I know one day soon we don't know whether we'll be allowed to say something like that. But I'm saying it, so all of you men's, (laughs) I want to pray for you. So would you join me and uh, everyone else in the room if you would just agree with me as we make petition on behalf of men who have a challenge in our culture. Lord Jesus, I want to come in the name which is above every name. And the first thing I want to do in Jesus' name is to thank you for being a good and loving Heavenly Father. Lord, we've described to some degree some of the brokenness in our culture because your image has been marred. But Father, in the midst of that brokenness, there is an opportunity for your light to shine. For you are a father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. And in the exercise of your will, you want to bring us forth by the word of truth. You want to heal us by the word of truth. And so, Lord, I'm praying for every man standing. Men growing up, young men to become adult men. Lord, we ask in Jesus' name for the help of your spirit, because you love us and you value us and you've made us in your image, both male and female, that we can embrace the fatherly side that you've given us. I'm praying for a settling in the inner man of every young man here, of your identity that you have given them as a person accepted in the Beloved, Praying, Father, for those who struggle. I think of of men who've wanted to be dads, men who've become dads, and then because of divorce or circumstances had the child torn from their lives, maybe lost by death, whatever it might be. in In their situation, there's a need for your healing comfort. And, Lord, if there's anyone who knows, it's you, Jesus. You're a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Your Father in heaven knew what it was like to lose his son. You've been tempted in all points as we are, yet without sin. And that's why you're a good father that we can learn to model and follow. We pray for help. Thank you for those brothers today that are standing who stick it out on behalf of their children. Some uh, in difficult single parenting circumstances, God, let them know that their input is of infinite value, whether they're feeling it or not. The fathers in the room who bring their children to church with their wives today. Let them be encouraged that what they're doing is making a mark that will have eternal value. As well as social impact in the here and now. We just read the statistics. Thanks be to God that so many of our kids will not be part of the decay of our culture, but add contributions to the places where we live. Strengthen our insecure brothers that uh, wonder, do I have what it takes and can I pass it on to my kids? Because, Lord, with your help, we most assuredly can. And help every wife and uh, every woman uh, around us as, as we embrace and celebrate the good gift of the other to us. Let us be able to say that to the glory of God because you knew what you were doing. We're the ones that don't get it straight. You have it straight. I pray that you would help us to cheer them on in a culture that wants to devalue them horribly. I pray for help, God. Help us as your people. Help your servants to rise up. Rise up, O men of God, and have done with lesser things. Give heart and soul and mind and strength to serve the King of kings. Would you help us, God? Because you are for us. Serving you will bless our lives and our families as well help us believe it. In the great name of Jesus, we commit ourselves today to your service. I ask that you put your angels around your servants as they go. I ask that every uh, father that's going to celebrate have a blessed day, and that all of us might have a sense of your healing and your mercy. In the great name of Jesus, we pray, and all the God's people said, Amen. amen and amen. God bless you. Have a great day. The Thompsons will be available to visit with you, I think in the back by their table. So if you want to, and I'm available if you want to talk to me, yell at me or tar and feather me.